0: Start out this morning. Judges 14. Today we're in week eight of this series from the book of Judges. And every good book and every good TV series must come to an end. So today we're closing out uh, this series. And I don't know if I'm sad or if I'm actually relieved. Uh, because it's been a challenging eight weeks as we've worked our way through these judges here in the Old Testament the last few weeks. Last week we were introduced to Samson, uh, who probably really needs no introduction. He's one of the most uh, popular, if you will, or, or colorful characters uh, that we find in the Old Testament. And we learned last week that... that uh, Samson had some issues, but I told you when we began this series, here's, you know, here's the thing about this series out of Judges, is there is so much that we can relate to in our own lives, uh, even in our church, uh, in our nation. There's so much that we can look at these stories out of the book of Judges and we can relate to. And so the warnings and the encouragement that we have there is not only for the people of Israel and the children of God back in that time, but it's for the children of God today. And it's for you and for me. And and so I told you when we began this series that if we're honest, we are going to see ourselves in the lives of these stories and the people that we've been looking at in the book of Judges. And I don't know about you, but if I'm honest... I see myself in Samson. I believe if we're honest today, we can all look at the life and the story of Samson and go, you know, I see myself in some of these things, in the behavior and and what's going on. We learned last week that Samson, well, what did he do? He lived a life of of compromise. He was impulsive, you know, and he was prideful. And, And I look back at my life, you know, and, and, and some of my past, I, I look back on those things with regret, you know, and, and I'm going, you know, why in that situation could I not control myself? Why did I act or behave the way that I did? One of the biggest things that I look back on and have regrets about is my mouth, Right? How, how little control I've had over my mouth and, and my tongue and the things that I have spoken uh, in, in the past. Uh, you know, or, or looking back at past situations and what if I would have just said no? What if I just would have removed myself from that situation? And, and the honest truth of the matter today is this. Every morning when we wake up and look at ourselves in the mirror We're looking at our own worst challenge for the day. You know, we're looking at our own worst enemy, if you will. Last week, we looked at Samson's birth, and we kind of had a preview of what was to come in adulthood and his life. Uh, And I'll just tell you, I I struggled more putting this message together than I have in a a very long time. Typically, I'll have a message ready and, and, and pretty well be comfortable with it by sometime late in the day on Friday. Uh, I was still agonizing over this on Friday night and even last night, making some making some changes to it. I just couldn't get comfortable with it. I was wanting to go in a direction <laughs> that I could not go and, and feel comfortable about. And so, uh, uh, I, you know, this morning I'm going to look at it a little differently than what I had planned. But uh, for the most part, we all know the story of Samson anyway. I just want to take a look at you know, some of the details and some of these stories. Uh but but for the most part, I'm gonna say we all know Samson. We all know his story. Uh and if you don't, I encourage you to go home read chapters 14 through 16. Three uh fascinating chapters about the life of Samson here out of the book of Judges. But here's what I want to do today. Kind of similar to last week, but I just want to continue to look at some of the warning signs that we see in Samson's life. Because again, I believe it's very relative to us today as a society and as, as we live our individual lives. There's, there's some warning signs in Samson's life I believe we can probably relate to. So I want to pick it up. The first story of Samson's adulthood that we see here, we're introduced to to get us kind of get us going. Uh, it's a story that opens up with him informing his parents that he wants to marry this Philistine girl that has caught his eye. All right? And we know... From history we saw last week, the Philistines actually are holding Israel, you know, captive uh, and are controlling Israel. And the Philistines were very bad people uh, with uh, worshiping uh, other gods. So let's let's pick it up here in Judges chapter fourteen. I'm gonna we'll start at verse three. Read now the NLT, uh, New Living Translation. Uh, this morning I just like some of the wording and what we're gonna be looking at a little better says this, his father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites that you could marry, they ask? Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? And this is not some sort of racial profiling, all right? This is not some sort of racial uh, prejudice that we're seeing here. They just want someone for their son who shares their faith, right? Someone who believes in the God they believe in, who has like uh, faith and similarities to them. But Samson told his father, like a spoiled brat, obviously we get a, a lot about his attitude here, hey, I don't care what you think, go get her for me because she looks good to me, right? And that's all that really matters is that she is fine, you know? And so I think Samson, I really don't know Samson's age here. I'm guessing he's a teenager or early 20s, right? Because he's still at that point in his life where he looks at his parents and thinks, you're dumb, all right? So he had to be a young man uh, because he, he he took no stock whatsoever in the wisdom of his parents. And isn't it amazing the older you get how smarter your parents become, right? I mean, you look back and you go, wow, they really had a clue after all. And they were trying to guide me. They they were trying to speak wisdom into my life. But I was being Samson all along, right? And if I had to boil down into one statement, all of Samson's weaknesses is this. Samson's drive in life was to do what pleased him. I hope you see the red warning flashing lights going off as we look at this today. Samson's life could be summed up that he was driven to do whatever it was that brought him pleasure and pleased him, right? He, he's not going to let anyone get in the way of what he wants. He's not going to let anyone, way, anyone get in the way of keeping him from achieving his goals. You know, And so he rejects his parents' wisdom, and he lets what? make his decisions for him, his desires, right? It's all about him. But then verse 4 says something that kind of lets us see the big picture here of what God is doing in this. And you kind of read it, and it kind of makes you scratch your head just a little bit. Look at verse 4. His father and mother, though, didn't realize the Lord was at work in this. Creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. So, what does that mean? You know, does that mean that God is actually the one behind Samson being selfish? Does it mean that God is actually the one behind? You know, Samson living this life that it's all about me? Is it it God that's behind these, these bad decisions that we see Samson make over and over and over again? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that Samson's decision was wise, all right, or that it was even the right thing to do. It simply means this: God will use this anyway. All right, God is going to use this for His glory, and for His people anyway. And just to recap a little bit of the history that we looked at here last week, again, the Philistines uh, are, are holding Israel captive. But here's the difference in, in this. You know, the, the Israelites now, they seem to be totally okay with it, right? Because they've learned, you know, that, that they're we've learned as we looked at this last week that now You know, normally what would happen is they would get in all this trouble. They would be held captive and and enslaved, and all this bad stuff would be happening. Their eyes would open up. They'd figure out, hey, we're not where we need to be in our relationship with God. They would turn to God in their misery. They would repent. He would send a judge to help lead them uh, out of that situation, whatever it may be. But now we see that they're not even asking God for His help. All right, the Philistines are the greatest threat that they have ever faced, and in the past they've cried out to God for his help and deliverance, but not this time. So what does that tell us? They (laughs) some of y'all would prefer that. Uh, I love the honesty of a kid. Hey. When we don't have children's church and we invite them in, hey, they, it's, a, it's cool, awesome. But we do learn a little something from this because what had happened was is they had gotten comfortable being enslaved. You see that? They're not crying out to God for help anymore. They're not asking for Him to help them. He's, they're not asking for them to deliver them. They have gotten accustomed to being a slave To the world around them. See the red lights? You know? They had grown comfortable to the things of the world. And they are no longer being drawn to the things of God. And and so what's happening here is that God, don't miss this, is allowing more conflict to take place. He's allowing even more conflict to get stirred up to try to get their attention so they will turn it back to Him. Don't miss this. You know, if you think about it, some of you have probably seen this in your own life. You know, you find yourself getting a little too comfortable in the ways of the world. You find yourself getting a little too comfortable in the sin of the world. You find yourself, you know focusing on the wrong things like how you can become more powerful or how you can become more popular or how you can become more wealthy or you're just flat out neglecting the things of God and so God stirs up some trouble allows you to go through some trouble so you will understand and realize I've had my eyes set on the wrong thing all along And so the trouble in your life very well may be God's way of trying to wake you up and get your attention so you will focus on the right things because you have been held as a slave into the things of the world for too long. And so sometimes He allows things to stir us up so that we would see Him and and be drawn to Him. And I believe this not only happens personally in our lives, but think about it. This was being done for the sake of a nation. All right, so we don't only see this in our own lives personally, but we also see this when it comes to nationalities and a nation. Think about it. Think about our nation right now. What is going on in our nation today? You know, our nation is growing more and more comfortable into the slavery of sin. We're getting comfortable in it, folks, as a nation. We have found comfort and security in an immoral nation today. You know, gay marriage, legalized. Drugs, being legalized. You can go get an abortion any day of the week that you want to go get one. You know, God's Word, His greatest commands, He tells us, is this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And we have never been more divided with our neighbor than we are right now. Everybody is offended. Everybody's ticked off. And everybody just wants to yeah, yeah. And, and, That's not the things of God. That's not how people of God do. People of God bring unity and peace and love to a a world. Not division, right? And so, you know, people today are... I believe that God is using these things, right? He's not causing them. He's not making people make these decisions and do these things. But God's allowing these things to happen. And He could be using our lack of judgment wisdom and good sense and the comfort of our nation to stir up stir up some conflict so that the church would wake up be strengthened and rise up and be the church in a world that needs to see the body of Christ today people today are growing entirely too comfortable in our nation help us exactly right you know and it's not just Christians it's people who call themselves Christians as well. I'm going to tell you something right now. You want to offend somebody greatly, you say something negative about anything United States of America. And don't get me wrong, I love our nation. I thank God that I, am ra- that I was born and raised in the greatest nation on this earth. You know, we are, we are blessed. I love our country. We're blessed beyond measure. To be Americans today and experience the blessings that we have as a great nation. To experience the blessings that we have uh, to to be Americans in those freedoms. But honestly, folks, I'm real concerned about what we're seeing in the church today. There's, There's a fine line that is being drawn between worshiping God and worshiping the country. And it concerns me. Right? I understand it's not popular. I understand it's not popular. But it's the truth. I see churches today that are having Sundays, trying to booster their attendance, trying to get people more fired up about church. And there are actually churches today that are having Sundays that are focused primarily on God and country. And folks, honestly, that bothers me. That bothers me. Because, friends, the first country that we should be thinking about is our heavenly one. The country we ought to have on our mind is not here. Our citizenship, folks, the Bible says, is not here. My citizenship is not an American. My citizenship is a child of the king. That's the country that we need to be focused on and worried about the most, right? Does that mean that that we just ignore what's going on? No, God put us here so that we would do the work of the church in the United States of America, and we've been blessed. But, folks, I'm telling you, Look around you because we have become comfortable to being enslaved to sin and the things of God. And and when we talk about being thankful for our freedom, the first freedom, the first freedom that we should fall to our knees and celebrate today is the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. His blood is the flag we salute, His blood is the flag that we lift up and exalt. And today it concerns me greatly that we're getting comfortable in something else besides that. And so, yes, God sends stuff like this along in our lives to get our attention. He sends stuff like this along in a nation. Allows the conflict. Allows the chaos. Allows the turmoil. Just to remind us, folks who we belong to and who our faith should be in because I'm telling you today, our faith is not in the power of Washington, D.C. Our faith is not in the power of a government. Our power comes from God. Our faith has got to be in Him and nowhere else and no one else today. Well, I'll quit meddling and go back to Samson. Because like I said earlier, we're probably a whole lot more like Samson than we care to realize or admit. And we're probably a whole lot more like Israel than we care to admit. And like Samson, we are at so many levels our own worst enemy. Samson was gifted, folks. He was gifted. He was blessed. God's favor was upon his life even before birth but he couldn't get out of his own way we see in verse 8 and 9 the first sign we talked about it a little bit last week that his life was based on bad decisions impulses and self-centeredness but you know he he's hungry he sees a beehive in the carcass of a lion that he's killed earlier he reaches in with his hand he scoops out some honey because, see, here's the way Samson lives his life. He wants what he wants, and so he gets it. But, again, defying God's commands because God had given him a command earlier that said, simply, don't touch anything dead. Don't touch anything dead. Now, now Samson is, is driven by his appetites. He's driven by his lust. He's driven by his stomach. And in the verses ahead, you're going to see him Driven by his anger. I've seen people like this before. They are driven by the revenge that they have against someone else. And, And we see this in Samson's life. And here's the deal. Many people today are being driven by these exact same things that were driving Samson instead of the things of God, the commands of God, and the Word of God. And can I just tell you this morning? It will wreck your life. It will wreck your family. It will wreck this great nation that we're blessed to be in. I read an article recently about the, uh, the dangers of texting and driving. A uh, lot of statistics out there now about how dangerous it is and uh, what a risk it is to be on your phone and trying to drive. Uh, typing on your phone... Or looking at your phone while you drive makes you 23 times more likely to have an accident. And and get this texting impairs your response time that you have more than the effects of alcohol and marijuana combined. All right? But here's the deal people know that, we know the warnings. We know the dangers of that, do we not? I mean, we're all by now aware that it's against the law and there's dangers with it. But yet, people do it anyway. Why? Well, they've always done it in the past and nothing ever bad happened. Why? It's not really affecting anybody but me If if I do this. But if we know the dangers, why do people continue to do it? Well, think about it. It's because in that moment, our gratification is more important than anything else. Our gratification, our knowing what that friend has just sent or knowing what that friend has just posted is more important to us than our personal safety those neighbors around us that we've been called to love, and the people that may be traveling in our path. And my point here is not about texting and driving, even though that's a pretty dumb thing to do these days, and it's against the law. But the lesson is this. If we don't learn some self-control, if we don't learn to deny ourselves, ourselves and be obedient to god and his laws we're going to wreck and we're going to crash and it's not only going to affect us it's going to affect those around us it's going to affect those that we love that are traveling this journey of life with us it's going to affect our family it's going to affect the church it's going to affect even the nation that we live in today Folks, I don't know of a time since I've been in ministry where I have seen more people in the church getting divorced. I don't know when I've seen it more. And often it's done in a way, well, it doesn't affect anything but him and her. I'm going to just tell you something. When you lose five families out of a church in one year because of divorce, it's affecting a whole lot more than just him and her. It's affecting kids kids affecting everyone around them. Even people that they don't know, there's a ripple effect that goes out. And and so, you know, this morning we see, you know, Samson was impulsive. He was self-motivated. He was, you know, he he was driven by self-gratification. And he has no self-control whatsoever. Proverbs 25 verse 28 says this, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. It leaves you what? Defenseless against who? The enemy. So here's the deal, friends. Just like with Samson, it's your decision. It's your decision. God gives you the right to make all the decisions in your life. He doesn't force feed any of them on you. He allows you to make your decisions. And it's your decision. And you are the only one that can decide if you're going to be driven by God's will and the things of God. Or you're going to be driven by your own desires and what you want and what will make you happy. So let me ask you today, what's your primary criteria that you use in making major decisions? What's the criteria? What do you weigh your major decisions in life up against? Do you make those decisions based on if it's going to help you? You make those decisions based on if it's going to please you or do you make those major decisions based on the fact, is it going to please God? And we have to decide whether we are going to be people who are going to be spirit-led or we're going to be desire-led, and that is your decision. Whether you're going to live your life chasing after your desires and be led by your desires or you're going to be led by the spirit uh, of God. And, and we have to decide if, who's going to be in control. Understanding, be careful that we are our own worst enemy if we choose to follow our own direction in life. We saw last week, Samson was given these commands by God the Nazarite vow. Uh, we talked about last week that we saw don't drink anything from the vine, right? Don't touch any dead carcasses, and don't cut your hair. These were the three major things in have, taking a part of the Nazarite vow. Well, right here in chapter 14, we see him have a you know, week-long wedding party that scholars said would have basically been a, a week-long drunk, a week-long keg party. Uh, we see him touch a dead animal earlier to get some honey from a beehive. And we may tend to look at these things like Samson did and go, you know, it's not, not really a big deal. So I, so I reached in and got a little honey. You know, so, so I had a little to drink with my buddies. You know, it's not, not really a big deal. Well, here's the big deal. Samson is treating the commands of God casually. Huh? He's taking the commands that God had specifically given him, and he's compromising them. He's approaching them, you know, casually. He didn't mind at all breaking them. You know, it didn't seem like a big deal at the time. And when he did not did it, when he did these things that God told him not, not to do, you know, nothing bad really. I mean, he didn't get struck by lightning when he ate the honey, you know. He didn't get run over by a garbage truck when he, you know, had the keg party. You know, the bad, bad things weren't really coming. So what, what would it hurt? I mean, if he just keeps on doing it. It's obviously not a big deal, right? And then there's the hair. Probably what he's most famous for today is his hair. And, and I just want to take a look at a little of that story in chapter 16. The Philistines are trying to capture Samson. He, he's caused them all kinds of problems, right? And, and so they're scheming to capture him. They're scheming to get him out of the picture because he is a thorn in their side. Right? All the rest of the Israelites, they're perfectly content being held captive and, and slaves Uh, Samson is as well, but Samson is just, he's full of meanness. He's aggravating the fire out of them. And so where do we find Samson here when they're pursuing him? They're trying to capture him. He knows that he's in, you know, dangerous territory probably with them. Where do we find him here at the beginning of chapter 16, verse 1? With a prostitute. I mean, seriously, he's not just with a Philistine girl, but this time he's with a Philistine prostitute. And not only that, it says there that he is in Gaza, which we need to understand that Gaza would have been the capital of Philistine, would have been the capital of the enemy. So, so what, this, you know, what does this tell us here? What's happening here? Well, Samson's sin, as he continues to be di- more you know, disobedient, Breaking this law and breaking that one, really not a big deal. I mean, hey, everybody else is doing it right. But we see as he goes on, he continues down this path, he becomes more and more brazen to what he's doing. Right? He's getting a little more bold. And, and, And then comes, you know... Uh, he, he, he's still all about doing what he wants to do and living it up. Life's just one big party for him, and that's what he's all about. And then comes verse 4, says, Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. And as you may already know, this is the beginning of the end. Right here, verse 5 says, The rulers of the Philistines went to her, and they said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. And Samson makes a game out of it, right? Because, I mean, that's all life is to him right now. It's a game anyway. You know, and so he begins to tell her different things. You know, if you do this, then, you know, I won't be able to break free, and, and this will make me weak. And so she tries them, and then, of course, nothing works. You know, he's just playing her along. And then you just have to love this. I mean, we see right here in the Bible the most effective trick by women in the entire world and universe. Verse 15 says, Then Delilah pouted. How can you tell me I love you when you don't share your secrets with me? You've made fun of me for three times now and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. The strongest man on the earth but he doesn't have the strength to withstand a nagging woman. Go figure. I told someone earlier, they said, what are you preaching on today? And I said, well, we got 46 women gone to retreat. They're not here, so I'm preaching on nagging women. Uh, because I had Fruit Loops for supper last night. I don't know about you other men. <laughs> it's true. It's being recorded. And we're going to mail every woman a DVD that's not here today. But seriously, when he felt like he could take her nagging any longer, he tells her the secret. It's the hair. The power, the strength is in the hair. And then don't miss this. And then he falls asleep with his head in her lap. Is that not interesting? He falls asleep after telling her. Do, do you see how overconfident? Samson has become in all this. You know, he's just told her his true secret about his strength. And then he falls asleep with his head in her lap. Not a worry in the world. Never thought twice about it. Why? He's gone by with it in the past. He's been disobedient to God before. He's compromised the will of God and the things of God before, but this time, he's gone too far. Because, see, Samson is his own worst enemy. He's lived a life being impulsive. He's compromised his entire life. And so far, so good, right? No troubles yet, but the compromises what have happened here. Don't miss this, folks. They've caught up with him. And can I just tell you, when you continually compromise the things of God over and over and over again, they will catch up with you. Verse 20 gives us the sad conclusion to this life that Samson lived full of compromise and impulsive and being all about him verse 20 says this but he didn't realize the Lord had left him he was having such a big old time he was doing what he does but he didn't realize the Lord had left God has removed the blessing from His life. and Folks, this is a powerful lesson for all of us today. What will it take for the blessing of God to be removed? What will it take for God to remove His blessing? Don't miss this because many people in this world today And there are some people in this room today that are making compromises when it comes to the things of God. They're making compromises, and you know what? So far, so good. Still living the dream. The party is still about me. But eventually, those compromises, they're going to catch up to you. They always do. Those compromises that we make about the moral things of God, the will of God that He plainly laid out before us in His Word, the commands of God upon our lives. Eventually, the compromises that we make, whether it be in our business, whether it be in our career life, whether it be the compromises that we make in marriage, or the compromises that you let that, that you make within your family because hey we let a little of this in here and a little of this in here and you know nothing bad's really happened so far yet so far so good the compromises that we make with our, with our finances the compromises that you make with all moral decisions in life will ultimately lead as you continue to compromise will ultimately lead to God's blessing being removed from your life. What if the harm was actually not in the action itself, but the harm is in us driving away the presence and the blessing of God in our life? You may look around and go, well, you know what? Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else seems to be getting away with it. Life's going good for them. They got the world by the tail. Is it really this bad? Is it really that bad? I know what the Bible says, but anytime you say, I know what the Bible says, but you're compromised. It's porn, you know, that's, that's just a little harmless pleasure. That's not affecting anybody but me. It's a little fling. I can get away with it. Having to pass. I'm pretty smart. I can get by with it. Fudge a little on the numbers at work. On the final balance sheet or the tax papers. You know what? No one will ever know. Because I'm the last one that sees these numbers anyway. Listen, Samson shows us. Samson teaches us a lesson today. Do not take the blessing and the presence of God in your life for granted. Don't take it for granted just because you've had it. You always will. Samson took God and his blessings for granted. And the compromise... Cost him dearly. And we see after this point, there's a whole lot more to the story, but but we see after this point, Samson lived some of the most tragic days of his life. You know, it, it was nothing but pure torture after this. He had his eyes, they literally gouged his eyes out. One commentary said they probably would have done that with a searing hot iron. To gouge his eyes out, he was being held in bondage as a prisoner, forced into hard labor, grinding grain in the prison. Folks, it's a story with a tragic ending. It really is. And sadly, I see tragic endings happening in the lives of people that I care about dearly far too often. And if there's one thing that I want someone to hear this morning about this story, it's this. It's never too late. It's not too late. All right? To cry out to God. It's never too late to cry out to God and receive his help, receive his forgiveness, and to receive his blessing. It's never too late. And we see here that Samson does. Have an opportunity to cry out to God again. And and when he's at this point, he is as low as low as you can get, as someone could get. He's been blinded, he's been bound, he's been tortured. And it's all because, think about it, it's all because of decisions that he made in the past. Decisions to compromise, decisions to put other things before God. But I want to notice something here that's in this story. It comes right after verse 20 that we looked at earlier where it says that the Lord had left him. If you have your Bibles, I don't have this up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, it's verse 22 that says, but before long, his hair began to grow back. His hair began to grow back. I I love this. Because don't miss this. Like Samson's hair, God's mercies grow new and fresh every day. I need that. You need it. They keep coming fresh and they keep coming new every morning. Why? Because the Lord knew we needed it. We needed his mercy fresh and new in our life every single day. Even when, don't miss this, even when it was our sin, our bad decisions, and our choices that had sheared those mercies away, they still continue to grow. They still continue to come. And friends, it's never too late to cry out to God. There are basically two responses that we can have when we have failed when we make a mess of things and we make bad decisions and we find ourselves in bad situations There are basically two responses to failure in your life first one is that people often feel remorse right they feel remorse and you know they're 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 like you know i i hate that my decisions has brought me to this place i hate that I have done this to myself, I hate that I have done this to my family, I hate that I have done this to my loved ones I know that I should have done something different, oh how I wish I could go back and have the chance to do it over again you know, and and don't get me wrong, remorse is good but remorse is only a good place to start all right, because it, it can't just stop with remorse. You need to go on to and you need to move into repentance. Um, remorse without repentance, can I just tell you, will eat you alive like cancer will. Remorse without repentance will make you a miserable, miserable human being. You start thinking things like, I hate my life. I hate who I've become, I I hate who I am, I can't stand this mess that I'm in any longer. Or or maybe it caused you just to become bitter, a bitter person, because you're so remorseful for things that have happened in the past and and, and a, a lot of times we'll start blaming other people because of that, well it's their fault. You know, it's mom and daddy's fault because when I was little, they used to put me in timeout for 30 seconds when I'd get in trouble. It's their fault I turned out the way I did. You know, and so we get bitter and we begin to blame other people for our problems. Listen, here's the deal. Repentance means that you own the responsibility for the decisions that only you have made. Repentance means that you own that. And you understand that's on you. That was your decision to compromise. That was your decision to indulge. It was your decision. And so you own that in repentance. But this is the key. Repentance will always accept God's grace. We own it. But we also accept God's grace over it in in our lives. And I know from experience that, that there are some things that you wish you could undo that you just can't undo. Right? Sin... Makes a mess it just does and maybe it's made a a mess out of your life can I just tell you this morning you can't unsin you can't unsin but folks you can repent repentance won't change your past but if you repent it can keep your past from defining your future. So I believe this morning that here in the the life of Samson, there's a lot for us to learn. There's a lot for us to take away from this. There's so much here. And and there's so much that if we're honest and we look at the life of Samson, I'm going to say that there's some things about his life that every single one of us can probably relate to. But the good news is this. It's not too late to repent it's not too late to be forgiven can we undo that no are we still going to have to walk into the situation when we leave here today that we created by our past yes but let me tell you something your past does not have to determine your future because of the grace of God and repentance simply means accepting that grace Allowing him to forgive it. And his word tells us that when he does, he casts whatever that past is. However horrible it seems to you. It says when he forgives us of that, he casts it as far as the east is from the west. It's cleared from your record. It's cleared from his mind. That's the new mercies that come fresh each and every day. But folks, it's on us. It all comes down to our decision. We can continue to compromise. We can continue to be comfortable in the enslavery that some of us are living our lives in. Or we can repent, be forgiven, and turn away from those things in our life. And not let our past mistakes define what our future is going to look like. So this morning as we close together, I want to open this altar to you. Maybe there's something today that you just need to bring to God. And you need to come in repentance. You need to come seek forgiveness. Then you need to come today because it's all about your decision. And so if you would like to come and pray this morning, maybe there's a special situation uh, that's going on in in your life or in your family that you just want to bring to God and pray about. He begs us to come to Him. Bring us our burdens. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you just need some rest today. So I invite you to come this morning. and. And I I, I want to encourage you to remember some in your prayers as we pray together. Ryan Height lost his dad uh, this weekend, and we want to continue to pray for Ryan and and his family uh, in these difficult days. Micah Bennett lost her dad this past week and and, uh, had his memorial service. Fred and Dorothy Moreland just having a lot of uh, health issues, and they called and asked for the church's prayers. As they undergo a lot of tests in the days ahead. A dear friend of mine called me this morning before church and just said, Pray for me. Folks, we've got comfortable. In a world that tells us sin is okay, and it's not okay. And God's doing everything that He can do to get our attention, to strengthen us. So that the church will rise up and be what he intended the church to be. So this morning, maybe you'd just like to come pray for someone, somebody, a situation. Or you just need to come pray for yourself. I invite you to come this morning as we close with a time of prayer. Would you come? God, this morning uh, we hear you loud and clear. But again, you bring us to a point that your word always brings us to and it's a point of decision. It's a point of control. Who's going to be in control? Is it going to be me or is it going to be you? God, somehow we think in our crazy way of thinking that somehow we can figure it all out we can do it on our own God we're nothing without you we are absolutely nothing without you and God this morning while the warning that we see here in the life of Samson is tragic there's a lot of people here today that can relate to Samson can relate to his story. Maybe maybe they relate today of how he lived his life and they've just been living it basically all about themselves. So far, so good. I pray that you would make them uncomfortable today. That so far, so good, is far from good. God, I know there's some people here today that find themselves on the other side of that and they feel like they have been tortured and imprisoned and the pain is real and it's cut deep and it may or may not be from bad decisions made in the past but their storm is real so I just pray today that you would enter into that. I thank you for this awesome reminder today about your mercy being new every day. You knew that was something we needed, and so you provide. I pray that we would accept it and receive it every single day in our lives. I pray for those who are going through really tough and difficult situations, that they would trust you, they would depend on you, they would lean on you they would make all their decisions going forward based on your desires for their life, not their own personal desires. God, I pray for those who are hurting this week that have lost loved ones. I can continue to pray for Micah, her mom, her brother, and their family. Just continue to draw them close and comfort them through these days. Be with Ryan and his family. God, as they go through the difficult task of saying goodbye to a loved one, I just pray that you'd be known. I just pray that you'd be seen in that situation and people would be drawn to you because of what you're doing in and through that. God, I pray for those in our church that are battling disease, whether it be physical or whether it be emotional or whether it be a situation that they just feel like they've lost control of, God, we give it to you. We give it to you. Thank you for the opportunity to enter into the throne room today and hand it over to you and trust you with the days ahead. God, I continue to thank you for what you've done in and through this church. You've you've done something really special here. And people see it. People know it. Maybe some of us have just gotten comfortable in the blessing. But God, it's been obvious that over 115 years, you've used people in this church to do some powerful things. And it happened because of their obedience. It happened because of their willingness to go, you know what, God first. The things of God are more important than the things of the world. So God, I pray that would be our mindset. I pray that you would help us. To put you first in our decisions, and everything that we do. It, it wouldn't be about making people comfortable. It wouldn't be about what people want. It would be about what you want. And God, we continue to pray for the other churches that we have a great opportunity to partner with to build the kingdom. We want to look at each other. People want to look at all the churches scattered up and down this road as competition. God, help us because we're brothers and sisters in the family of God just doing our best to live our lives for you, make disciples and build the kingdom of God. Help them. Help them. Give them the resources that they need. Give them the courage and the boldness that they need. Give them what it takes to be able to step out in faith so that the world around us would see that only God could do what you're doing here in our community. God, we're so grateful and thankful for the awesome churches that we get to work with and partner with. And Today, I've, I've got some good friends down at Spring Hill Baptist and they just come to my mind today. I love Brother Ed. I love many people in that church. God, do a work in their lives. Do a work in their church. Give them fruit for their labor and their faithfulness. If it don't begin anywhere else, let it begin there. But God, our desire is that it would begin here. It would begin in our hearts and in our lives and in our families. God, we thank you for the reminder of your love today. We also thank you for the reminder that uh, the blessing can be removed. And so I pray that you would help us that we wouldn't find ourselves in that place or in that situation in our lives. Help us to go out and be the church to go out and be great representatives of the love, the mercy of God. That the world would see and know that we love you and we love our neighbors, period. And we can only do these things through the powerful name of Jesus and that's who we ask these things. Amen. God bless you. I love you.